welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. I got back uh, last week from preaching overseas and I was glad to see that you are still following the one true God. Now, of course, that may uh, come as no surprise. I shouldn't have expected anything different, but neither did Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai only to find that God's people had decided not to worship God, but to make a God out of gold and worship a calf. You've heard that story. We read about it in Exodus, and it's a, it's a wild story. And um, as you may recall, Moses then went back up to Mount Sinai a second time to get the Ten Commandments again because in his anger at what the people had done, he had thrown the tablets down and smashed them. And so he goes up and he asks God to reveal his glory to him, which God does so. And for 40 days... Moses is up on the mountain, miraculously surviving without any food or water in the presence of God. And then he comes down and, of course, he's got the stone tablets now inscribed by God with the terms of the covenant that he was renewing with the people. But what's really amazing when you read that story, you get to about Exodus 34 and you see that because Moses had been with God, His face shone with the glory of God. So much so that the people were afraid of him. It says Moses doesn't, he wasn't even aware of it, but he was radiating the light and the glory of God. And the people were afraid and they had to put a veil over his face for him to be with the people. Now, you fast forward to the New Testament. Paul's writing to the Corinthians and we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and it refers to this. Verse 7, and you can open in the Bible if you have, or you can read on the screen, reading from the NLT. 2 Corinthians 3, 7 says, The old ways with laws etched in stone, led by death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all, compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. We're talking about the old covenant and the new covenant, right? People before Jesus, people after Jesus, believing in Jesus. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? (laughs) We've been talking a lot about the glory of God. That's how overarching vision as a church really is to bring glory to God. And we've been looking at some passages about the glory of God. Here you've got the word glory or glorifying mentioned no less than 10 times in five verses. And so it's a theme, you'll understand, right? God wants us to experience his glory. And then we read on. Since this new way gives us much confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away and he didn't wear the veil forever. Uh, But the people's minds were hardened 
And to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And Paul knew what he was talking about because he was one of those people who believed, Jewish people believing in the God of the Old Testament, but unable or unwilling to believe in God of the New Testament, revealing himself as Jesus coming as the Messiah. And so he knows exactly what he's talking about here because he had been in that camp, if you like. Uh, And so he says, the same veil covers their minds. They cannot understand the truth. But this veil can be removed by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil. They do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. Wherever the Lord is, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Listen to this last verse. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Is that not on the screen? Right. Okay, we're going analog. Oh, there we go. So look at that last verse. All of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who's the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Wow. So look at, note, note there, we can see the glory of God. We can actually reflect the glory of God. And the Holy Spirit is making us more and more like him. Or your translation might say, we are being transformed into his image. And in fact, the word for transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, from which we get the word metamorphosis. And so that is such a radical transformation in our changing. This is obviously the work of sanctification, right? We give our life to Christ. We're born again. We're going to go to heaven, but we're not perfect. But we are being then worked on by the Holy Spirit. He's living in us. He's producing his fruit, character traits that are more godly than base, natural kind of character issues. And gradually, over time, he is producing his fruit. We are becoming more like Jesus. We are, uh, what does it say? Being transformed into his image. And, and so radical can this change occur from how someone was once to how they can be in Christ that it can be as radical as the metamorphosis you see from a, a caterpillar becoming a beautiful butterfly, which is, you know, what they use that word for in, in nature. And, um, but... This change isn't just some divine magic. It's not automatic. It requires our free will. We get to decide. We get to choose. We get to determine how we work with God, how we let the Holy Spirit grow within us, how we inhibit or enable him to do his work, whether we think his way or speak the words that he's putting on our heart to say or whether we behave the way he's inclining us to behave we don't have to because we can think and act and speak whichever way we like and this is the challenge that we've got before us so we've got some decisions to make because uh, obviously the first one is we give our lives to Christ we we decide we're going to be a, a follower of Jesus a true disciple of Jesus someone who's not just by name saying oh I'm a, a Christian but someone who's truly humble and saying, God, I will go where you go. I will follow you, work in me. I, I die to myself. I, I love you. I seek you. I pray. I read your word. I want to get in your presence. You know, And then when we come out of that 
encounter we have with God, that prayer time, that closet, if you like, of prayer, then, oh no, all these people, we've got to interact with people. And we, and we are tested then because it was so easy when it was just the Lord. I mean, he doesn't annoy me, you know, but you do. I mean, I mean, the person that just walked out, you didn't see, it was that annoying person, not you, you know. But of course, we all, you know, interact with people. We all then have to decide, oh, how am I going to get on with these people? And, and we've got to decide, am I, going to, am I going to do what it says there? Am I going to reflect and reveal God's nature as the Holy Spirit wants me to, as his fruit is growing within me? Or will I just slip back into my carnal, natural way of behaviour, which is so easy to do, especially when it's challenged by somebody else. You know, someone's angry or saying something out of a place of hurt or something, and then I can easily come back and say the same kind of thing and just get down on that level. And so we can, you know, kind of blurt out the first thing that comes to mind or we can stop and listen and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so this is a real decision. And, uh, and so I, I want to demonstrate something to you. Um, first of all, I need a God, a person who can be God. And uh, Tim, you make a good God because you've got a beard. And uh, we all know that God has a beard and, uh, and he's a perfect father. And Tim's kids are so young that at this point, at least he looks like he's the perfect father. But we'll come and revisit that space when they're teenagers and then see how you're going. But you'll, you'll do a great job. But okay, so here's God, right? And, um, and then we need a couple of sinners. Um, Martin, of course, and Simon. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't look so surprised. It's, it's all right, just because you're close. Right, now you guys come and stand over here, please. Up here on the stage. It's your, it's your time to shine. Come on, you're walking the boards. You know, this, is, this could lead somewhere great. You know, we could be some talent spotters here. You never know. Um, okay, but, but the problem, so here's God and he loves people, right? But you won't be surprised to know that these two are, are sinners. And so, um, so he just, yeah, he's just, all right. So, um, so now we have a barrier. So thank you. See, we've got the props man ready to go. So there's the barrier of sin. So, um, so come over here, God, please. Oh, right? So God's loving. And, there's, and so now they can't relate to God because uh, as much as God loves them, we have all this, this barrier of sin. But thanks to Jesus, we can now uh, be forgiven, born again, and say, no, 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 you <laughs> God doesn't cheat and he's not cheeky, right? <laughs> okay. But, but so Martin uh, is a bigger sinner, but Simon gets saved, right? So Simon's, Simon decides he'll give his life to Christ. So now he's here and he's coming over. Now he can't quite, like he's in relationship to God, but he hasn't gone to heaven yet. So you're sort of here. We'll put you in the middle, right? So, so you kind of, you know, if, if Jesus comes back, uh, or you die, then of course you'll be way over here. But at the moment, you're still in the world, right? Not of it, but in it. And of course, you can talk to God. And can I have that? Uh, so, so here is his reflecting tool, right? And so we get to reflect. Now, he has a choice. 
Now, what he's doing by instinct is, of course, sadly, what a lot of people do, which is basically preen and groom themselves and just look at how wonderful they are, especially now that you're forgiven and see the Lord loves you. And so isn't that amazing? And you can look at the Lord and appreciate him and then look at yourself and just go, look, aren't I wonderful? I'm being sanctified. I'm getting better. And this is sadly how some Christians live their lives. They're just in relationship with God. They're appreciate it. And it's not all bad. You've got to be in relationship with God. And of course, worship God and enjoy what God's doing. But if that's all, that's just a little limited, right? Because he's still in the world. He's still relating to other people. So here's Martin Sinner over here needing to hear about God. Now, of course, he has, so here's the Christian boy. He gets to decide, how is he going to relate to this guy? Well, of course, he can just hold the mirror up And what he's doing is reflecting this guy's sin back to himself. And again, this is a bit of a sad deal because some Christians, when they relate to people in the world, all they do is reflect back on someone's sin and send judgment and condemnation to remind them of their sin and produce a sense of shame. And all they say is, you're not good enough. You know, I'm forgiven, you're not. And and of course, we don't don't want to do that. But that's, that's sadly the message. Certainly the message a lot of people in the world feel like that's all the church has got to say, you know? And so we've got to be able to break down some barriers there that we, we want to be able to not just let them feel like they're being, you know, judged and condemned. And so what is the answer? Obviously, if this Christian positions himself correctly and gets his reflecting tool working, then I'm sure in the right position, this person will be able to see God. Uh Uh-huh. See? So now when Martin looks at Simon, he sees not Simon's sin. He doesn't feel judgment back on him, but can he see, he sees God's face rather than stomach. But if you position that correctly, great. And isn't too cheeky, but holds it right. So if he, so there, see? So now... He's reflecting the glory and the image of God because he's positioned himself correctly. Well done. You finally got there. And so here, thank you. Yes, give them a clap. Great acting. Stunning acting. Brando-esque. And so when I, you know, when you read that word, sorry. Oh, sorry, Martin. So he gets saved. You, know, you can stay there, but we, yes, praise the Lord. Give him a clap. Right. Right. So yes, yes, he sees the glory of God. He sees who Christ is growing in this guy. And then, of course, he responds because he sees God's love and compassion. When he looks at the Christian, he doesn't just get condemnation. Christian hasn't just got his back turned away from him, just in his own little church bubble, never relating to people out in the community. But he's seeing who God is, or at least some resemblance of what God is doing in this person's life and is attracted to that. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, you're the light of the world, verse 14, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. It's obvious, he's saying. Isn't that obvious what you do with the light? You don't cover it up. So in the same way, let your good deeds shine out 
for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father or your translation might say so that they will glorify God. And so that's why, uh, you know, we are called to, to shine. It's, we've got a choice. We don't have to. We can hold that light and cover it, but that's ridiculous. And so Jesus said, no, no, let it shine. And the light, of course, is not our light. It's the light of the Lord shining into us his love, his light, his compassion, his grace. And then we want to reflect and shine that on towards other people. And so this is love and grace in action in our lives. This is what we're called to do. And so what does it look like? It means that we live a lifestyle, hopefully, that is reflecting something of God and his nature. It means that we're, we're wanting to grow in our character and to show his character to people around us. It means that we're doing good deeds as we're led by the Holy Spirit. Now, good deeds get a bad rap in Protestant circles because we know we're not saved by good deeds. <laughs> so then we can just rely on grace and go, forget good deeds. But it's like, well, hang on. You're not saved by good deeds, but Jesus says, do good deeds. You know? So we still good deeds, not to earn anything from God, but to reflect his light and glory. Yeah? And, um, and of course, it means that we step out with our witness, with uh, boldness and diplomacy, but we share faith. And, uh, and of course, it can mean praying for people, really meeting people where they're at and bringing the power of God. Not just, oh dear, that's a bad situation, but offering to pray for someone. And not just later on, but right there and then. And of course, we've got stories of that happening more and more where people are bold enough to say, hey, can I pray for you? Sure. Now? Really? Oh, okay. You know, and then, I mean, even when you don't feel like it, I told overseas your story of how Ruth's saying, she felt like the Holy Spirit saying, come on, pray for someone. And she's like, oh God, who, how do I, who do I pray for? I mean, you want to pray for someone who's sick? I think you're in the car, weren't you? You're about to get out of the car. And I mean, you'd have, well, I mean what am I going to see? Someone with a sore leg or something? And immediately she saw that this guy limped right past the car. And she sort of went, oh, okay, God, thanks, you know, and prayed for this guy. And he was really blessed. It was like, thank you. Wow, it feels better. And, you know, and can I give you a hug? That's right. And then he enjoyed that first hug. He said, can I give you another one? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Then it gets a bit funky. Yeah, it's like, yeah, right. Yeah, flirting for Jesus or some weird, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, there you go. You still got it, mate. There you go. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not the main point of the story, you know. But um, back to the Bible. So, uh, but listen, you know, we're not called just to show grace and reflect God's love out into the world, but also within his family. Of course, we think, oh, yeah, sure, we take that for granted. But, you know, when you read in Luke 15, the story that Jesus tells about the lost son, you know, that most of us have read this story, the prodigal son. Of course, he squanders his inheritance overseas, reckless, debauched living, loses everything, feels terrible, comes home, thinks, I'll just ask my dad if I can have a job out the back. I'll be a servant or a slave. And I, can't, I couldn't imagine what he's going to say. But, and the father, of course, just runs, throws his arms around him, loves him, forgives him, puts on a great big party. The son is overwhelmed with all this love and grace. But what about the other son? Have you noticed there's another, there's another son in the story and he's not that happy. He doesn't share the joy of the father about his brother coming back. He's put out. He's like, well, hang on, what about me? I... I 
you haven't put a party on for me. And, and he's struggling with this overwhelming grace with singing, you know, reckless love, about chasing after me. And all. sounds nice when we sing about it, but the reality is some Christians can get a little thingy about people who are very flawed and receiving God's love and grace. The Father is forgiving them, but are we? Are we being judgmental or critical or you know, focused more on, on someone's sin than the Father is? Because he's showing us by example what he wants us to do. But I, I think sadly some Christians, we might relate to that other son who is somehow not as gracious and finding fault and criticising rather than just letting the love of God flow. And so we need that love from the Father flowing through us, shining through us, reflecting on towards other people. And, you know, interestingly, when you read the New Testament, there's a lot of commandments and instructions about how to relate to people and how to be kind and loving to people. But particularly, often it says, particularly to the family of believers. Of course, we, you know, we talk about our witness and reaching out and telling people about the Lord. But it often, for example, Galatians 6.10, you probably know this verse, says, as much as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of God. So that doesn't mean we don't love other people, but surely Jesus is saying we can love each other. In fact, he says that's one of the best witnesses we can ever have because he said, if you can love one another properly, then people will know that you're truly my disciples. And so we've got to be able to you know, get to this point where we've, we've got a quest to build a community of faith, hope and love. Remember, the greatest of these is love and that looks like being kind to one another, to be gracious, to uh, believe the best in someone to not find fault and focus on that. Or, or if there is a fault and the tension or issue, then you go to your brother or your sister and you work it out and you communicate rather than just disconnect or get offended and walk away. And, and so this is, this is what we're talking about. Let's just read that verse again, 2 Corinthians 3, 8, 18. All of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who's the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we change into his glorious image. Let me finish with one story. Um, unless you've been, excuse me, if you've been completely living off the grid over the last week or two, it would be the only reason you would have for not knowing about the moon landing. It's 50 years since they landed on the moon. In fact, at 12.56, in an hour, hour and a half, it's the exact moment, 50 years precisely, 21st of July, 1969, that Neil Armstrong first stepped onto the moon. They landed six hours earlier, so kind of midnight or whatever, a few hours ago they landed. But at that point, many of us will remember, if you're old enough, it was a big deal. And uh, so Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, and about 20 minutes later, he was followed by Buzz Aldrin. But not before Buzz Aldrin, and I only found this out recently, he paused in the little lunar module and took communion and radioed back to earth and said these words, I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening in to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his or own way, in his or her own way. And then he read from John 15, where Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the vine, 
You're the branches. Whoever abides in me will bring forth much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think, uh, and then he took the bread and the wine that he had brought, especially from earth to the moon to have communion. And then went and walked on the moon, as you do. Um, But I thought, isn't that amazing? At such a momentous time in history, here's Buzz Aldrin being struck by how reliant he is on God. Even man's greatest endeavours still need the touch and the hand and the approval of our great sovereign God. And, and he wanted the world to know that. He was, he, in fact, there were quite a number of astronauts in that era that became Christians because of their encounters out in space, because of their experience, and they were encountering the glory of God and they determined to live for God when they returned to earth. In fact, one guy, Jim Irwin, got born again in space and said, God, when I come back to earth, I will live for your glory. And he did. He came back, he resigned uh, from the NASA space program after a while, and he, um, he travelled around the world sharing his faith. And he used to say, Jesus walking on earth was more important than man walking on the moon. <laughs> and uh, in fact, in the early 80s, he came to Australia, shared his story at what is now C3 Church Sydney, our mothership, and my mum, as well as many other people, were born again in those meetings. And um, now, of course, sadly, we don't all have astronaut anecdotes to share <laughs> when we talk about our faith. That'd be cool. Um, or, or where we aim to reflect the glory of God with their kind of stories. But we all have our own authentic story, our own encounters and experiences with God And our journey with him, our growth in him from glory to glory that can talk and shine and reflect to people something about God and his nature. And so I want to encourage us to continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord, to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to grow in you and let his fruit grow through you. And then to make those choices before you speak or act to think Am I reflecting the love of God in this situation to this person? How am I reflecting and revealing God's goodness and glory? And of course, we want to do that, reflect his love, his grace and his glory to people out in the broader community and especially in his family, the household of faith. Amen. Come on, let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.